0: Thank you so much uh, Deacon Errol for leading us in service and Lynette and the music team for leading us in songs. A very good morning to all. A very good, morning. I I just heard that someone remarked to me, oh I cannot be saying morning only, must must, uh, address good morning. Uh, That's good, Uh, it's so good to see you all here and we want to welcome folks who are new with us for the first time. And just to keep you up to date, we are doing a series of sermons and studies from the book of Romans, as you've noticed by now, and I pray we all will be blessed by God's word. Now we will be reading from the portions that we have just read, right? And um, this would I will encourage you to follow if you were to download uh, your e-bulletin, uh, the outlines that is given there. Uh, but why so? Because possibly this is one of the most um, um, important single paragraph that are written. Uh, so says. Um, few commentators. So let's begin our time by considering the questions, how are sinners declared righteous? Now, if you have stood before a judge or attended a court proceeding, the prosecutors will present charges or evidences of the crimes committed before the defendant present his or her defense. And at the end of the trial, the judge will read out the charges one by one and pronounce whether the defendant is found guilty or not guilty. If the defendant is found guilty, the judge will pass the appropriate sentence pertaining to the charges. So after a sobering examination of mankind's unrighteousness and God's justifiable wrath for the first three chapters of Romans, As context, what do you think likely will be the outcome of the verdict? Now imagine you are the defendant and God reads out your charges and verdict. And it will probably sound like this. Charge number one, Brian Tay for acts of godlessness found guilty. Charge number two, Jason Lim for acts of wickedness. Found guilty. Judge number three, Kenneth Tiang, for deeds of unrighteousness. Guilty as judge. These all three are my leaders, no? Ministry leaders, they are good. They are faithful, they are committed, but yet they are found guilty. And not only that, the judge goes on to pronounce, I now sentence you to death. How do you think you feel? I think you would be in emotional, psychological, spiritual turmoil. And what hope for reversal but only to appeal against the sentence, right? Hoping the death sentence could miraculously be reversed. This reversal can only come in either fresh evidence that proved one's innocent or an amnesty. That is granted by the highest authority of the country, the king. But for us, it's God. And I want to remind myself as I remind you of the first three chapters of Romans. It is proven without reasonable doubt that the whole of mankind, that means you sitting there, not only just the three leaders that I've mentioned, you and I, all of us, sin whether Jews or Greek or Gentiles for that matter. So what evidence or amnesty that can be granted? What hope can there be for mercy? Only that of the mercy of God revealed in Christ through faith that can declare us righteous and that is how Paul presents to us the life-giving proposition for what we all have been charged with. And it follows as such. But now a righteousness from God, next slide, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justified those have faith in Jesus. Now, it's a long passage that we have read this morning, but most of, three two-thirds of my sermon is based on these six verses, and then one-third will be on Abraham as an example, right? So, as you can notice, I have highlighted all the words that scholars have commented with long discourses, and thought i flesh out this glossary before we look in today's Passage. Next one. So we see the righteousness to mean the holy character of God and the saving act of God to us in Christ. Justification is a legal declaration that we are free of guilt, cleared of charges, and right with God. The basis is the work of Christ on the cross, never our good works, never our law keeping. Redemption bought at a price. At what price? The blood. Of Jesus Atonement Some other version They prefer to use the word Propitiation In Greek is helestirion Having to do with The wrath of God And Jesus taking upon Himself the punishment we deserve Not just Wipe clean Faith Salvation is and always has been faith From faith For faith to faith Grace, peace with God, is an undeserved and unearned gift. I thought it's good for us to be reminded. Some of the terminologies are are very uh, familiar, but then you know that familiarity breeds content. So it's good for us to always keep reminding ourselves what it means. And all that is being written there where the scholars actually... um, have long discourses about it. It kinds of, some are used synonymously. Some, they do overlap. So I pray I'll do justice to clear our understanding of such terminology. And so if you notice, the passage begins with the words, but now, now consider how much hangs, pun intended, on these two little words. God's righteousness, our righteousness, All who died in faith, all who continues in faith, and all who comes to faith all depends on these two little contrastive words. It is a turning point to what you and I, the whole of humanity, has been charged with. There is a hint, a positive shift, that we can be declared righteous from the charges that are against you and I. How? How? It is mentioned twice in verses 21 and 22, a righteousness from God. A righteousness from God is apart from the law. See, when the law is mentioned, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when the law is mentioned? Obey, la, obey and follow law, la, right? So apart from the law must mean the contrast is between the righteousness that is earned by observing law and the righteousness declared by God. So who can testify to our perfect observance or obedience to the law? All hands down. Thank you for being honest. No one, ah, right? If we are honest enough. Where else, the righteousness from God testified even by the law and the prophets, which by the way refers to the Old Testament, show us the actual way God will bring about righteousness in Christ. See, God, who is righteous in nature or in character of himself and in himself, must demand the same of us. However, since none of us can produce this righteousness, and we can never will, it is proper to call this righteousness of and from God, because it is also the righteousness which He provides to you and me freely. According to the professor of New Testament and commentator Thomas Schreiner, he says this, the concept for righteousness is closely associated with both judgment and salvation in the Bible. Next slide. Please know that in both judgment and salvation, God shows the uprightness of His character. Not because you are judged, only God is not righteous. No, yeah? In both these extremes. And in judgment, He displays His holy and just character in punishing the wicked. In saving or in salvation, He graciously provides the gift of redemption through Christ's death. Which is one of the frequently asked questions, right? How can a holy God forgive sin? Can he now? He can, and he does that through Christ. And not only he justifies sinners, he declared them free of guilt. So an example would be like that of the law court. Whenever an accused person is brought before a judge, the person is either justified or condemned. The accused is not made righteous, or unrighteous, but declared righteous or unrighteous. And this declaration of righteousness can only come from the hand of God Himself, who is righteous, whom provide a way to righteousness, anyone who believes in Christ. And so, we are acquitted, not because of any good in ourselves, but because Christ takes our punishment on the cross. The sinner in us is not innocent. But in Christ, we are accounted as innocent. Our nature as such is not changed. And what change is your status and my status. Therefore, the righteousness from God or God's righteousness refers to God's holy character that is clearly shown in His saving action by which mankind can stand in right before God, the divine judge. Now, having now know what righteousness of God means, the Romans were probably asked, qui bono? Pro bono is of what good to a people? Qui bono is of It's of what what benefit to me Is this righteousness And according to Paul The right standing with God is available Available to? Available to all Not only to all But to all who believe Whether Jew or Gentile You know why? Because all of us have seen All fall short of the glory of God All equally are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All who believe in Jesus are justified, cleared of charges, declared not guilty by righteous God. And God could do this because Jesus took the penalty that we deserve. Christ purchased our freedom from sin. And the price was his life. It means we are declared righteous only by God's grace. And what is God's grace? Unmerited and unearned favor through the redemption in Christ. And so the word redemption here reaches back all the way to the Old Testament Exodus and the blood of the Passover lamb by which God freed Israel from Egypt. And so the Exodus event likewise points forward to the greater redemption Jesus won for His people through His blood by forgiving them their sins through His death on the cross. And later, we'll be celebrating the Holy Communion in remembrance of this past great salvation event. Now, an example would be, the slave market. Have a slide. Next slide. The sinner is a slave to sin. Agree. So needs to be redeemed. The idea is not just that the slave is released, but that he is released on the payment of a ransom. And our modern day pawn shop pawnbroker falls short of this understanding. Because Christ paid the sinner's ransom. This sets the sinner free from sin. Next slide. Death and judgment. Because we are bought with a price. The price of Christ's own blood. So if ever you have gone through that, the sin, all of us sin. Have you felt shame in your Of course, all paid for. What about pain you go through now? Relationship broken, the brokenness of people, the brokenness of relationship, all paid. Your past mi- mi- mistakes, all paid. You feel lonely, you feel rejected, paid. You're slave to your idolatry. All paid. Deserving of spiritual death and because of Jesus' blood, the grand total is it has been played for by Christ. This passage is not bleak. This passage is a very hopeful passage. First three chapters of Romans, yes, mankind has been pronounced wicked, godless, exchanges unnatural sexual behavior. But this passage actually gives us hope and it must remind us what God has done in your life and in my life in Christ. So that we can be hopeful, so that we can our behavior, our belief and our behavior matches. And this comes about through the through Christ's sacrifice, the sacrifice of atonement. Or in other words, the version, other version is propitiation. And what does it mean? It refers to the satisfaction of justice. Christ's death on the cross cleanses the sinner from guilt because it satisfies the wrath and holy justice of God. Now, according to verse 25 and 26, it is God's forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justified those who have faith in Jesus. And I'm very sure for those of you who are in the DG would have asked this question. How come God never punished the sins of the past people? But make no mistake that God's forbearance for sins committed beforehand is not because God has overlooked those sins. In fact, He did make them accountable by providing them what? For providing them a sacrificial system to appease his wrath temporarily until Christ. Moreover, as we have read in the earlier chapters, his forbearance or his withholding of his punishment is to what? Is to lead us, next slide, in repentance. Have you? Have I? In the end, there are but two ways for God's justice to be satisfied, either in the everlasting punishment of the sinner or everlasting life of the saved in Christ. The punishment that we rightly deserve costs us nothing because it cost Christ everything, meaning the forgiveness of sins And the righteousness of God cannot be earned with work or inherited through genealogy. They are free to be received by faith. And if that's the case, then there's no reason for the Jews or the Greeks or the Gentiles or you and I to boast that is from 27 to 31. Why is that so? Because by now, we should be absolutely clear that no matter what good works we do, it will not be the basis of our justification. More so, the, Lord, the law made us aware of our sin, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. If that is the case, we have nothing to boast. Not our pedigree, not our law, not our achievements, and not our status. And so to help substantiate all that Paul explained about righteousness, he now gives an example in someone familiar to them. And then he introduced this is where we come to chapter 4, which I would just explain, and I'm sure you know, the story of Abraham. So who is Abraham? We, don't, we do not need to assume who is, that we know who is Abraham. And uh, why Paul uses it as an example. If there is anything that the Jews are proud of, it would be their genealogy from the line of Abraham. And then moving forward, their circumcision that they wear as a badge of belonging to God's people and later the law that was given to them in the time of Moses. But Abraham would be, so Abraham would be a heavyweight example, not that he's heavy, but because he's someone that all just looked up to and can relate to. Abraham was the first person whom God credited him as righteousness back in Genesis 15. When God promised him that he will have a son from his own flesh and his offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. Please note, it is a promise yet to be fulfilled. But Abraham believed. It is on this very belief or on this very faith that God credited him as righteousness. When God credited him as righteousness, he was still was he, still was he circumcised already or not? He was still uncircumcised. So neither has the law been given. Like what I said, the law is given much later, during the time of Moses. So what exactly did Abraham did to deserve that credit? Nothing. No works of the law, no circumcision. The very thing that resulted in him being credited is his belief in God's promise. Therefore, Abraham is a credible proof that righteousness is indeed given through faith. So moving on to the last portion from 16 to 25. It is only through this faith that God's promise can be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Who then is counted as Abraham's offspring? Now, if you were to look at the slide, if Abraham looked at the pictures of his grandchildren, and according to Paul, can you just click on, click on, click on? (laughs) Your photo, my leader's photo, my photo could be in there. If, If we are of the same faith as him, isn't that assuring? Condemned to death? But now because of their faith or our faith in Jesus Christ, we have credited righteousness. So how does Abraham's faith look like? When God made the promise to him, he was 75 years old and his wife Sarah was barren. It was only 25 years later. How many of you can tell? 25 years later? No, people promise you. You expect it to happen the next Minute the next hour, perhaps, or the next day. Twenty-five years Abraham got to to wait, no? Can you imagine their conversation? Hey, you cannot. Hey, no, you cannot. 25 years of waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled in the giving birth of Isaac. But look at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Even when it seems hopeless, humanly speaking, he can still have hope and can believe because the object of his hope is not in himself, is not on Sarah, but is on God and God alone. Imagine 25 years of waiting. Wondering which can actually wondering and which can actually make a person waver in one's faith. But then, verses 20, 21 says that Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And we sit there. lah. but Abraham also got to work, Ma, right? To produce Isaac, right? You think so? You think again. I'm presenting to you the power of God, No? Can Sarah be carrying a child without Abraham's work? Just look at the life of Jesus. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Sarah. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God, whom you and I have put and professed faith in, you know. The power of God that can change your life, that can change my life. The obvious ones is me yours is not so obvious but if, I, if, 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 if your life were to be displayed on LCD as slides or maybe made in, can be made into a movie it is so sobering you know, and very humbling you know, this passage when I read again and I feel so undeserved even in preaching today's message will I wait that long? Abraham did not waver A very godly example of trusting in God. By trusting in God, it does not mean that Abraham did not fall short nor make mistakes along the way. He did. But the key is that he did not waver in his faith. Is that really possible? Let me illustrate to a more real-life situation for us by the story of Nick Vujicic. You know that Nick Vujicic is an extraordinary global evangelist and motivational speaker. He was born without all four limbs. He was bullied and being put down, and he too believed he was a failure and attempted suicide when he was at a young tender age of 10. While he was not depressed his entire childhood, he did have his ups and downs until he sealed his faith in God. And that is the beginning of this beautiful and amazing journey. And so far, he has never and not allowed for his physical disability for him to travel across, what, 44 countries? And speak more than 2,000 times. And he said this, We all have broken pieces. We all are disabled in some sort of way. But when you walk by faith, the impossible can happen with God in control. And he has always given this powerful advice to many. He commands you to walk by faith. God commands you and I to walk by faith. So get comfortable being uncomfortable we think depending on God And so it is by faith in Christ That sinners are credited as righteous Delivered over to death for our sins And was raised to life For our justification And that's how it ends In chapter 4 verse 25 And so what does it mean for us? First the objective and the goal of any Bible study or sermon must be who? The character. It is not the author character. Paul, yes, he wrote the book of Romans, but behind him, before him, above him, who is the main and central character? The main and central character must be God, who sorts out our mess, who sought out our sin problem. If just from the passage this morning, I picked up the characteristics of God, the attributes of God, the nature of God to be. God is righteous in character, powerful in authority. Next slide. He is just. He is gracious. He is redeemer. He is a protagonist or He initiates. He is a promise keeper. He is faithful. God of all. He is a life giver. If God is all that is mentioned, going to great length to secure and declare us right, would it be too much? Would it be too much to ask of us to give up on our prejudices? In the days of old, it was racial prejudices because Jews and Gentiles. But there are many other prejudices, right? We sit here mainly are Chinese you, a couple of them are Indians. Ethnically within Chinese, the Teochews and the Hokkien, you know what they say about the Teochews and the Hokkien, we also judge and condemn one another. We do have our prejudices and I'll leave all these more detailed examples for the following I'll be kind to you this morning because this morning is a good, good message, a message of hope. And it's sobering and it's so humbling. Is it too much to humble ourselves, to not think that, oh, I, my Bible knowledge, oh, you know what Pastor Jeff said, i, I got more some more to add on. Uh. The number of years we are in faith, The numbers of ministry that we serve in makes us more worthy than the newer believers. I just want to remind you, it is not your doing. If not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ through your faith, you won't be doing what you are doing for God and His people. Never for a moment think that you, that you think yourself so highly. And then on the other extreme, for those who think lesser of themselves, is it too much to ask of you to just stop condemning yourself? Stop complaining and play the victim always? Can or not? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And all who believe are of the same, same status Yes, in reality, we do have such differences But precisely because we are all redeemed By the precious blood of Jesus Christ And all seated here week on week Seeing familiar faces from January the first to December. We mustn't say that, oh, yeah, I don't know that the flow I do. 52 weeks for you to know at least, huh? Okay, la don't. That, that portion, please know everybody from now onwards. This portion also. No need to cross la, just down here again ready. <laughs> so don't just stop complaining. La. Stop it. Don't think of yourself so lowly. No matter how good you are, you need to be saved. No matter how bad you are, it's also also by the grace of God. Second, if God is all that is mentioned, is it too much to ask of you to continue to trust God, whatever your circumstances, whether favourable or not favourable? Of having too much, we disown God. Of having too little, we dishonor God. Is that us? Is that you? Is that me? Because in both this extreme, we can forget about God, no? True or not? Because if you are, your life is really favored, you think, I made it. Myself without any help. No. Please be sober and please be humble eh, before God. Hence, we trust God for what we have and we trust God for what we don't have. Amen? For example, Whether we can conceive a child, heal from illnesses, getting into prestigious school, reconciliation of relationship, and so on, those are some things only that we actually faced and that we can forget God in our daily planning life. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, persevere on, embrace the power of Christ's death and resurrection by faith, and rely on God's grace in our daily life. And because of what God has done for us, I entreat you not to give up on God and take your life if things don't go your way. And I've just recently heard again of a student in a very good school, somehow took his life. So, better send your kids to neighborhood school. Neighborhood school, you don't hear this type of problem. Only those set school or no. But then every school is a good school now in Singapore. So, our life is precious in God's sight. Why? Because He has redeemed your life, He has redeemed my life, no matter you th- how good you think you are, no matter how bad we think we are. It's so precious that God got to go at great lengths, you know, to give His one and only Son to die for you and for me. It's not like, He died for all of us. All of us is like not so personal. But you put your name, Christ died for Andy. Christ died for Jason. Christ died for Chad. And then it makes sense. It's personal. So your life being redeemed is precious. Live by faith, trusting in Him because He sees their future. And although you can go through a bad patch, you know the promise is always at the corner. Hang in there. Don't give up. God never give up on you. He wants you to follow example. And he has given us human example again and again and again and again. From Abraham's time to even now, the pastors and the leaders, most of the elders and leaders all oh, oh, grew up almost the same as the church, you know, at the beginning of the church, you know. And that's how they how old they are. So sorry that. That's how elderly they are (laughs) And so in closing Let's be clear For whatever charges That was against us Our deserved punishment Has been fully paid by Christ In Christ And through Christ Therefore I end Is how I begin Brian Tay, Jason Lim and Kenneth Young you are now declared righteous in Christ and free to go. To go what? To go and to go, to go on and to go forth to proclaim this good news to everyone that you meet. And so God help us. Now, if I've lost you for the last 30 minutes, perhaps this acronym may help you to remember. See, it is faith in Jesus Christ. As our atonement for our sins Includes all who have faith in Christ Therefore, trust God regardless of circumstances And hold fast to God's righteousness Let us pray Lord, we thank you for your grace In presenting your Son As sacrifice to atone us from your rightful wrath. For this, we can all be declared righteous by you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we not take your grace, kindness, and forbearance for granted. And may you help us to hold fast to this righteousness that you have given to us freely in our daily life. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.